Pause, Renew, Next, a podcast about soul care, scripture, and stories of faith. I'm Jenny Detweiler, and friends, I am so excited about today's episode. Two times a year, I release a special biography episode highlighting an incredible woman of faith. I love to hear people's stories. I love to interview women of faith on my podcast and share their stories with you. But you know what? There are some amazing women throughout history who can teach us so much too. So for these biography episodes, I try to find women from different backgrounds, cultures, and time periods, and hopefully somebody I didn't know too much about so that I can share them more with you and learn myself. Today's episode is going to be highlighting an incredible woman of faith whose courage began to change a nation, and her impact can still be felt today. She is very, very famous, but unfortunately, I had never heard of her until recently. I'm going to guess that many of you are unfamiliar with her too, so I'm privileged to introduce you to her today. Her name is Pandita Ramabai Sarasvati, and she lived during the 1800s in India. I do want to give a little disclaimer that I may not pronounce or get everything exactly correct due to cultural and time differences. Please forgive me, and I'm going to try to do my best. Before we jump into her story, I think it's important to set the stage with a little history and understanding of India's culture at the time that she lived. The following statistics and information come from Pandita Ramabai's book, The High Caste Hindu Woman. The primary religion of India is, and was then, Hinduism. Hindus believe in the immortality of the soul and that people are rewarded or punished according to what they do. During the time that Pandita lived, everything about daily life in India was influenced by Hinduism. She says in her book, there is not an act that is not performed religiously. Now the caste system comes from India and is very famous the world over, but for the context of this story, it's important to understand it a little bit further. The caste system was originally a way to divide labor, but later it became a key part of Hinduism. After that, caste was no longer because of merit, but because you were born into it. And whatever caste you were born into, you couldn't escape it for your whole life. So just so we have a good overview, the four castes that she talks about are first the Brahmin, or the priesthood, who were the highest caste. They were the spiritual governors or the head of the society. Then came the warrior caste. They were the defenders of the country who worked to control crime and injustice. After that came the trader caste, which was made up of businessmen, tradesmen, and artisans. And then lastly came the Shudra caste, or the servile caste, which really included everyone else. Intermarriages between castes could not take place without consequences. Like literally, you would become an outcast, which I assume is where that word comes from. It's also important for today's story to understand the role of women in India at the time that Pandita lived. Women were not at all valuable in Indian society. A woman's life was divided into three parts, childhood, youth or married life, and then widowhood or old age. Now, sons were not only valuable, they were coveted. It was believed that through a son's birth, a father could be redeemed. Fathers did not want daughters because those daughters would one day be the property of someone else. Now, if you had been married for 11 years and a wife had not had a son, then a husband was allowed and even encouraged to be able to have another wife. That's how important it was to have a son. Infanticide in India at this time was fairly common among some regions and castes. People killed or threw out their infant daughters. This practice was later outlawed, 
but it continued in a lot of places, so much so that in the census returns of 1880 to 1881, it showed that there were more than 5 million more men than women in India. That's a big disparity, you guys, 5 million people. This was believed to be due to the practice of infanticide, but also due to poor hygiene and medical care of women. Okay, with that as a backdrop, an awfully depressing backdrop for our story, let's jump into Pandita Ramabai's life. She was not born Pandita, she was born Rama Dangri in 1858, and she was born into a Brahmin caste family. Remember, that is the highest, most privileged caste. Her father was an Orthodox Hindu and very devout. In many ways, he was a reformer and ahead of his time. He didn't understand why women and people of the Shudra caste could not learn to read and write, so he taught his wife to read and write and to learn sacred literature. Pandita's mother was also very devout. She spent many hours every day studying sacred Puranic literature, or the Hindu texts. Her mother then taught her children to do the same, even her daughters. Pandita was the youngest child, and she was educated from the ages of 8 to 15. Pandita's father chose a home in the country so that he could be away from the busyness of everyday Indian life. However, the place he chose for a home was also near a sacred pilgrimage location. So many visitors continually came to visit their home. Her father felt like it was important to show hospitality, so he used his own personal resources to entertain and feed these guests. Now, after doing that for 13 years, he'd used most of his own resources. No one made him do this. He felt like it was his duty, and his religion dictated him to practice hospitality. Once they ran out of money and resources, they had to leave their home. So the family left when Pandita was only six months old, and their family became pilgrims, always traveling and on the move. So really, we could say her entire childhood was spent that way. I'm sure she didn't remember anything different than that. As they traveled, they went from one sacred Hindu place to another. One of the ways that her father could provide for his family as part of the Brahmin caste was to go around reading sacred Hindu texts. They visited temples, bathed in sacred rivers, and read these texts aloud wherever they went. People who read these texts were considered very important, and the people who listened would give them presents. This is one way that they made an honest living and didn't have to beg. The texts were read in Sanskrit, and common people couldn't even understand what they were hearing. Still, it was believed even to sit under these words would purify the listener, so many came to listen. So her family got all of the money they needed, and whatever was left over, they would use to go on pilgrimages or to give as charity to the Brahmin. This way of life changed for Pandita, though, when her father's health began to fail, and he could no longer travel. Because of their high caste, and the fact that they were trained so specifically, they did not qualify for any other form of work. So in a lot of ways, their family was trapped. They chose to turn to their faith and to try to seek help from the gods. They fasted, gave alms to the Brahmin, repeated the names of some of the gods, performed penance, and continued to do these things for three years. As Pandita Ramabai later shared, the gods did not help them, and eventually their money ran out. Unfortunately, the country was also in a famine. Many people lacked food and water. Pantita's father, mother, and sister all eventually starved to death in 1877, all within a few months of each other. Only she and her older brother survived. They were now teenage orphans trying to navigate the world on their own. They walked around finding free lodging at places for the poor. 
total, she says that they walked more than 4,000 miles on foot during that season of her life. Sometimes people gave them food, and sometimes they had no food. I read that sometimes they ate wild berries or a handful of grain soaked in salt water. All of this walking, 4,000 miles, they did barefoot and often slept under bridges. Once on a very, very cold night, she and her brother survived by digging two pits in a riverbank and burying themselves up to their necks. Let's just say that I think this woman, although born into a privileged class, lived through many things that we cannot even imagine. She was one tough lady. She and her brother ended up in Calcutta. They continued to read Hindu texts aloud, as they had been taught in their childhood, carrying on the family business, so to speak. Her intelligence and knowledge caught the attention of the Sanskrit scholars of the city. And in 1879, Calcutta University gave her the title of Pandita Sarasvati in recognition of her knowledge. From then on, rather than Rama, she was known as Pandita Ramabai Sarasvati. Around this time, she first came in contact with Christianity. When she saw people kneeling to pray at their chairs with their eyes closed, she assumed they were bowing down to the chairs themselves, and she thought that was strange. I guess I would think so, too. Meanwhile, she and her brother continued to practice their religion faithfully. But after years of serving faithfully and keeping all of the rules and still not seeing their prayers answered, they began to lose faith. Her brother sadly eventually died, and then Pandita truly was alone. Although women of India generally married very early in life, some even during childhood, Pandita did not marry until the age of 22. And she married a lower caste man, Bipin Bahari Madhvi, a Bengali lawyer of the Shudra caste. This was an almost unheard of move, because remember, it was really, really looked down upon to marry outside of one's own caste. But by now, you can see that Pandita Ramabai was not someone who followed the rules. She had married a Bengali man, so she stayed in Bengal and learned the Bengali language. While there, she was given a pamphlet on the Gospel of Luke. She also came in contact with a Baptist missionary who explained Genesis to her. The creation story fascinated her because it was so different than the Hindu stories she had learned in her life. The Genesis story struck her as true, but she did not know why. She began to learn everything she could about Christianity, but her husband was somewhat disapproving of her curiosity. Unfortunately, I feel like there's a lot of unfortunately's in this story. Unfortunately, her husband died of cholera within two years of their marriage, and she was left a widow with a baby. Widows in India at this time were not treated well. It was believed that if your husband died, it was somehow your fault, and you were not allowed to marry again. Now that would be devastating at any age, but especially as a very young woman with a child. A widow would be made to shave her head and only eat one meal per day. Can you imagine being assigned a future like that? Pandita, however, found this unacceptable. She decided that rather than to live the rest of her life in that way, she wanted to pursue a career in medicine, and she went to England to study there. She began to study the English language and went to England in 1883. While there, she stayed with a group of nuns, and through their influence and watching how they helped destitute women, her career idea shifted from medicine to mission work. She was taken in by sisters who introduced her to the rescue work that they did. These women, the Sisters of the Cross, had given their life's work for the service of the sick and the infirm. In India, these sick and destitute women would have been discarded, but Pandita saw that these Christian women were kind to them. She asked why Christians treated fallen women so differently. 
One of the sisters read the story of Christ meeting the Samaritan woman and told her about Christ's extravagant love for sinners. The sister told her that Christ did not despise them, but he came to save them. After reading the Gospel of John for herself, Pandita believed that Christ was the Savior he claimed to be, and she turned to Christianity. She was especially influenced by the way that Christ treated women. Pandita was baptized into the Church of England in 1883. She began to travel in England and America and continued studying. As she traveled and studied, she found many different sects and doctrines of Christianity. This was confusing to her, but she decided that it must be human nature to have them. She said that it showed that people just like to quarrel with each other and that they had no oneness of mind. Well, I think that that might still be true today, huh? Pandita returned to India two years later, and impacted by her studies, her new faith, and an outside view of the world after having traveled extensively, in 1887 she wrote a famous book called The High Caste Hindu Woman to expose the oppression of women in India. Now, I read some of this book, and the statistics I gave at the beginning about women in India came directly from her book. This book, The High Caste Hindu Woman, took courage to write, and it gained attention. Eight years after converting to Christianity, Pandita realized that she had changed religions, but had not truly converted to Jesus Christ. In her words, she had accepted the religion of Christ, but not Christ himself. One thing I knew by this time, she said. I needed Christ and not merely his religion. In other words, she had been following the scripture and respected the institution of Christianity and Christ's teachings, but she had never surrendered to him and made him her Lord. She had no relationship with Christ. Pandita came to the understanding that she was a sinner and surrendered herself to Jesus to become her righteousness and redemption and to take away her sin. She writes that in her relationship with Christ, she found that no caste, no sex, no work, no man influenced God's ability to save. God gives salvation freely to anyone. She says that after her salvation, she felt like the light had streamed in and that she was filled with joy. In her newfound faith, she read inspiring books like the story of the China Inland Mission, the Lord's dealings with George Mueller, and the life of John G. Patton, founder of the New Bride's Mission. These were all men who gave their lives to Christ and to serve others through missions. After reading them, she wondered why missionaries didn't come to India to start a faith mission. She felt the Lord whisper to her, why don't you begin to do this? And so she was led by the Lord to start a mission for destitute women. She went to Philadelphia, then to San Francisco, then on to Bombay to gather support. She had true friends who offered support and encouraged her. One person particularly influenced her while she was in the United States, the great Harriet Tubman. Talk about strong women uniting. After experiencing the new birth talked about in John 3.3, she opened a home for poor and destitute women and girls in 1889 and later named it Mukti Mission. Mukti is a synonym for nirvana or the place in Eastern religions where one achieves enlightenment and true peace and freedom. Pandita had found this in Jesus. At Mukti Mission, she started a vocational school to teach girls and widows trades so that they could support themselves and live independently. She later added a hospital and printing office that even employed 30 men. Eventually, there were over 1,500 residents at the mission. There was another severe famine in 1896. Pandita and others from Mukti Mission went around the area and rescued thousands of outcast children, child widows, orphans, and other destitute women. 
Later, the Hindu governor of their state heard of their work in rescuing people. He was so impressed by their compassion, he paid Mukti Mission a visit to commend them for their work. It was completely unexpected. Pandita writes that just like the governor dropped in on her school unannounced and saw the mission just as it was, she realized that Jesus would soon do the same. She believed wholeheartedly and writes in her book about believing that Jesus would be coming back soon. At Mukti Mission, Pandita had administrative and teaching roles, but she also worked there to translate the Bible from Hebrew and Greek into Marathi, her native tongue. She also became an author of many books and tracts that were printed on the mission's printing press. In 1905, they held a prayer meeting asking for the people of India to turn to Christ. This meeting resulted in a revival that spread across India, with thousands of people turning to Christ. Many of the people in this revival spoke in tongues and showed spiritual gifts, so Pandita was known as the mother of the Pentecostal movement of India. And you guys, she continued to work and help with Mukti Mission until her death of bronchitis on April 5, 1922, just before she turned 64. In 1989, on the 100-year anniversary of Mukti Mission, the government of India made a postage stamp in her honor with her picture on it. And in 1999, Indian author Vishal Mangalwadi recognized Pandita as the one who began reforming India's attitude towards women and called her the Indian woman of the millennium. As we close this podcast, I want to share one story about her that really summarizes Pandita's influence. In 1889, she spoke to 2,000 delegates of the National Social Congress in Bombay. And as she waited for the crowd to get quiet, she famously said, It is not strange, my countrymen, that my voice is small, for you have never given a woman the chance to make her voice strong. Well, her voice was strong, and thankfully it was, because due to her work and courage, many changes have come about. And did you know, in getting prepared for this podcast, I looked up Mukti Mission, and did you know it's still open today? It's still helping underserved, underprivileged women, and now has 18 locations across eight states in India. Amazing. There are so many things that stand out to me about Pandita Ramabai's story. She was born into privilege, but suffered unimaginably through orphanhood, starvation, and destitution. She survived widowhood, And rather than allowing that to define her, or to allow herself to be treated poorly, she decided to change her own future and pursue a career. Yet I would be remiss, and she would agree, that none of that would have been possible without the Lord's intervention. It's clear that He had His hand on her life, and that Christ changed everything for her. Her outlook on life, her view of women, her view of her own role in the world, her view of suffering, and the ultimate path of her life. Through her faith and courage, thousands upon thousands of vulnerable women and children received help. Absolutely amazing. What stands out to you from this biography episode? I would love to hear about it. Leave a comment under today's show notes or find me on Facebook or Instagram at Pause Renew Next to share your thoughts. Resources I used for today's episode include the book, The High Caste Hindu Woman by Pandita Ramabai. Also, India's Woman of the Millennium, Pandita Ramabai, her story in her own words from the International Christian Women's Hall of Fame series, and 50 Women Every Christian Should Know, Learning from Heroines of the Faith by Michelle DeRusha. I was so inspired by this story, and I hope that you were too. And that is all for today's podcast episode. 
I'm Jenny Detweiler with PRN. Pause, renew, next. May you be encouraged on your journey with Jesus.